Hey everyone, Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. They invite you to join their in-store stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames for weekly legacy and modern events. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. They have every single imaginable sealed product, the new Commander 2017 product, card sleeves, deck boxes, and other gaming supplies. To support the podcast, use our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com slash KTM when you shop. Thank you. Okay, let's do a quick sound check question here. What are your favorite personal habits or rituals when playing EDH? I don't have too many rituals. I I have to have one of my cool play mats. And the only tokens I use are these Star City Games Panda tokens. Uh-huh. And and I don't know why. It was, you know, I got a couple of them, I, you know, I got maybe over the course of a year or something, whenever they had them, uh, there were a dozen or so of them and, uh, I collected them and I started using them and I'm not really sure what the Genesis was. Uh, but then, uh, you know, it's just like, I was like, I'm going to be on team Panda <laughs> and, <laughs> and there we were. <laughs> I'm going to be on team Panda. I love that. <laughs> okay. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. Welcome to the Season 3 premiere of Kitchen Table Magic. It's so good to be back. Over the summer, I've been hard at work interviewing new guests for this season. You're really going to enjoy everyone we've got lined up. Let's kick things off with our first guest of Season 3. I'm speaking with former L5 judge and founding member of the Elder Dragon Highlander Rules Committee, Sheldon Mennery. Sheldon helped to popularize Magic's most fun format, EDH, now officially recognized by Wizards as Commander. Sheldon tells us about the early history of when Commander was still called Elder Dragon Highlander, and even how it got its name, EDH. Sheldon also has a special gift for listeners, so stick around to find out how to get it. I hope you enjoy my conversation with one of the original Elder Dragons, Sheldon Mennery. Hi everyone, thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and today I'm here with a very special person, Sheldon Mennery. Sheldon, how are you doing? I'm fantastic, Sam. How about you? Thanks for being here, Sheldon. I'm here in a sunny Seattle day, and I'm just wondering, what's new with you? What's been going on? Well, I am sitting here in uh, my house in Florida. Not quite as sunny since it's a little bit later, um, but otherwise, it's uh, it's pretty much the same as it is for you out west. So currently, I'm a graduate student at the University of South Florida. Uh, I'm pursuing a master's degree in English literature. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I had to take the last semester off because back in November, I was diagnosed with throat cancer. Uh And I had the really good fortune of being close to Moffitt Cancer Center here in in nearby Tampa, which is one of the best facilities in the world for treatment of uh, of all cancers. So I underwent radiation treatment, and about six weeks ago, I got the very, very good news that there is no sign of the cancer at all. That's wonderful. Doctors won't say words like cured, but they will use terms like remission. And my doctor was, he, he said, you know what, uh, I'm going to call you 
a 95% chance of actually just being cured. So, uh, you know, the, there were some very, very dark moments in the last six months or eight months. And uh, over the last few weeks with that very, very good news, I'm very, very high on life again. It was, I, I have to tell you, one of the things that really got me through was leaning on my extended support network. And of course, that certainly involves a lot of people from the magic community. Uh, there was this outpouring support and help. Let me give you the quality of my friends in the magic community. Uh-huh. Two of them flew into Tamp- into town to take care of me so that my wife could go back to work. Wow. Uh, Toby Elliott and Scott Larrabee came in uh, at different times and then one little overlapping time to drive me back and forth to my radiation treatments. Wow. So that Gretchen could get back to uh, her very important and high-level job. That's amazing. Yeah. I, and and anytime somebody is having a, have a struggle, and unfortunately, we have other friends in the magic community that are suffering from the, from the same disease, and I tell them, lean on your friends. Let us help you through because because you can't, you don't make it through alone. I was just overwhelmed at a few points during my treatment. How amazing all the people in the magic community have been. That's so wonderful to hear. Thank you for sharing that news with us, Sheldon. Thanks. And for the listening audience, if you are not familiar, Sheldon is on the rules committee that governs EDH or Commander, one of the community's most favorite formats that's incredibly fun, diverse, great in groups, great for casual, also slightly competitive 1v1. Sheldon, I wanted to jump right to the beginning. Can you just tell us where you grew up and how you found magic? Uh, I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland uh, in the 1960s. I left there uh, in the 80s and joined the Air Force in 1984 after a, an abbreviated career as a musician. So I found Magic in 1993 at Gen Con, as a matter of fact. I was quite involved with the RPGA back then. You know, you bought tickets for this four-hour slot in a game, and uh, the RPGA, the Role-Playing Games Association, ran adventures and, uh, and whatnot. So at Gen Con 1993... Out of the 13 slots of Gen Con, I DM'd 10 of them. I only had one slot available when the dealer's hall was open. So, you know, the dealer's hall at Gen Con is amazing. Yeah. Even back in 1993, it was pretty amazing. And I knew Wizards of the Coast as a role-playing game company. Mm-hmm. And they did, they had some like really thought out, uh, well thought out supplements. And there was kind of this crowd around the their table and I was like, what's going on over there? And, and, you know, I, and I craned my neck around and was like, well, this is some card game. I was, Let's stop and look a minute. I was like, well, well you know, I want to see a lot of the, the rest of the dealer's hall. Just buy some and we'll look at it later. <laughs> so we bought a starter and a booster. And I remember walking away from the table, cracking open the booster. Uh-huh. And the first magic card I ever looked at was Time Walk. Wow. So we had driven out to Milwaukee. That's back when Gen Con was in Milwaukee from D.C. I was stationed at the Pentagon at the time. And we were with two other friends. And one of our friends learned to play magic in the backseat of the car. Wow. On the drive back from Milwaukee. I actually played my first game maybe a month later. And I was hooked from like the first minute. 
I got a veteran bodyguard in play. And I was like, how do I lose? <laughs> and then I got, you know, and I got a, a prodigal sorcerer in play. And I'm like, how do I lose? <laughs> uh, uh, from there, I started running magic tournaments. And then um, I got reassigned to Belgium in 1994 and started running magic tournaments there uh, for both uh, the U.S. folks and the local Belgian folks. Got involved with some tournament organizers and then went to the first ever Grand Prix, which happened to be in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. So that was my introduction to highly competitive magic. I didn't quite make day two at, at the first ever GP, and I was looking for something to do. And I walked, I happened to walk by the um, Wizards of the Coast table. Guy at the table says, hey, you, do you know the rules of magic? I said, I actually do pretty well. He said, would you like to become a judge? Wow. And the rest is history. Uh, so I took the judge test and uh, here we are 20 something years later. Sheldon, that's really cool that you were just kind of standing in line and someone's like, hey, do you know the rules? And here you are as a judge. And I don't even just want to say like, here you are as a judge. You were a level five judge. That's correct. Yeah. And that and that's quite an accomplishment. That's just like, that's not just, hey, I want to be a judge. I mean, you really dedicated. You became a level five judge. I mean, tell us about the first time that you became a judge. Well, I mean, I was basically already judging, right? I, you know, as a, a person running tournaments, and we're talking about 16, 30-player tournaments or whatever back in the day, I was both TO and judge at the same time. It uh, only seemed smart to just, if there's a certification, get it. So I took the test, and back in the day, your level uh, in the program was determined by your initial score, in the, or your starting level in the program was determined by your initial score on the test. And I started as a level two judge mm -hmm. because I did well enough on the test. And then I made level three in 1998 after having done my first pro tour in Mainz, Germany mm -hmm. in 1997 and a few G European GPs. I was stationed in Belgium at the time. I became pretty much a regular on the pro tour judging scene. Uh, and I started my Ask the Judge Rules column on Star City Games in uh, the summer of 2000. Uh -huh. So, you know, I, I started developing a little bit of judge cred and then uh, made level four in 2004 and level five after I had judged my first pro tour uh, in Atlanta in 2005. Okay, so Sheldon, we have you here to talk about EDH because you are on the rules committee. This is correct. And can you give us a little brief history of EDH, how it even came about? Well, I was stationed at Elmendorf Air Force Base in Anchorage, Alaska from 2000 to 2003. And I had this great group of fellow gamers that met every Monday night at the house of our friend David Pfeiffer. Uh, and he called he called his apartment the place to be. And we would get together and we were I mean, we're gamers. We had an RPG group. Uh, we played board games. We watched nerd movies. Uh, and of course, you know, this was the early 2000s. So it was before nerdcore culture was really mainstream. One day, we went over to David's apartment, and he's like, oh, you should see this cool new format that Adam Staley came up with. Uh, okay, what's it called? Well, it's, we, it's called Elder Dragon Highlander. Okay, so they explained the basic rules. Uh -huh. At the time, there were five people playing it, each with one of the Elder Dragon legends as their general. Ah. And that's how it got the name. Now, one of the reasons that the name change to commander is that the people that hold the intellectual property to the term Highlander 
based on the movies, mm-hmm. may have issued some challenges to our use in that uh, in that sense. Got it. So once Wizard of the Coast started uh, working on product for it, they're just like, can we do a name change? They talked to the rules committee. We're like, sure, fine. Seems okay. Right. But back in the day, it was definitely EDH, still colloquial to colloquially to a lot of people. Uh, it's EDH to the to the old schoolers. Um, I, I probably say Commander these days more. Uh, I'm going to tell you the exact reason I find Commander an easier word to say than EDH. Oh, interesting. It just rolls. It seems to roll off the tongue better. And I'm a big fan of making speaking easier for yourself mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. command and commander just comes off better. EDH is sort of has this staccato ness to it and commander has a role to it. So it's generally what I'm going to say. Now, of course, when I type, if I'm messaging with friends, it's always EDH because it's, <laughs> three, le- it's three letters instead of nine. Right. <laughs> so anyway, um, I, I take a look and they're playing and there's, uh, it's it's the Wild West, right? There are five people with the legends. It's true singleton because even basic lands are limited to one each. There's this uh, agreement in the group to not play any non-basic land hate. And you got to remember, this is 2002. There weren't that many great non-basic lands. Right. Uh, so they were really uh, scraping the bottom of blasted landscape to come up with enough uh, land to play. Wow. So I look at the format. I'm like, yeah, that seems kind of interesting, but I want to play some Hot Shots Golf on the PlayStation 2. Uh, <laughs> and it wasn't until the second time that I really sat down and watched as the five folks were playing. You know, this has some possibilities. Why don't we expand it to any legendary creatures so that more than five people can be part of this league? But, you know, if you're playing Vavictus as Mahdi, nobody else can play it. We still have this idea of a closed sort of league. Got it. I left Alaska in the spring of 2003 and was reassigned to Langley Air Force Base in Virginia. Again, I had... You know, I was reasonably well known by that point from my Star City column and and judging at Pro Tours. So one of my regular readers contacted me when I had you know I had said publicly, "Hey, I'm I'm moving." He's like, "We got this gaming group, and we live where you're going to live. So why don't you join us?" And those people actually became the real first group of EDH players. Wow! The initial Alaska group laid the foundations but didn't actually play that much. It was more of a, an idea and then an intellectual exercise. And, uh, you know, David and I had, had talked a great deal sort of about philosophy. Okay, if you want to make this a viable format, my experience tells me this is what we'll need to do. But it wasn't until I moved to Virginia and started playing it, and it was, it was casual. You know, we would, they would come over to my house. We would just play sort of uh, multiplayer free-for-all mm-hmm. magic. And one day I said, you know, there's this format that uh, I brought with me from Alaska. You guys want to try it out? And they said, sure. And the next thing by, you know, again, that was the summer of that was the summer of 2003. By the spring of 2004, it was all they all, they wanted to play. It was we're playing EDH every time, you know, every time we play. So it was it wasn't sunday magic at my place it was sunday edh at my place wow and then i brought it to the uh, again by this time i'm a sort of a pro tour judge mainstay and uh, i wrote a star city article about it and 
then a couple of the judges expressed some interest. So I was like, yeah, let's, um, you know, at the next Pro Tour, let's all let's all build decks, and during our off time, uh, we'll play together. Once the judge community got infected with it, things exploded. You know, there were no holding back the sort of kind of um, evangelism that the that the judge community brought to the format, and a lot of people. It's a cool format, right? Right. Um, you see it played once, you go, "Oh, I can play this card. Oh, I can play that card. I'm in." And they're like, "Oh my god." stupid epic things happen all the time this is the, <laughs> this is the format for me so the judge community is really who's responsible for the, the just the abject explosion of the format and then i think memory's a little fuzzy because it was a while ago i think it was actually at that pro tour that i made level five at in atlanta mm-hmm. that scott larrabee uh who's on the commander rules committee now and is a is a very very close and dear personal friend who works and work at the time at Wizards of the Coast. He was the tournament organizer of the Pro Tour uh, by then. He's like, hey, let's go to dinner. You know, it was like Pro Tour day one was over. Like, hey, let's go grab some dinner. Like, uh, no, I'm going to play EDH with uh, what's that? So I just, you know, I obviously I had a couple of decks with me. So I handed him my Lord of Tressorhorn deck. And like, here you go. Sit down. Let's play. He's like, oh, I'm taking this back to the office. <laughs> and, and again, it was just, you know, it's one of those things that when somebody gets their first taste of it, it hooks them right away. I, I mean, there are there are some people who are like, eh, not interested. But for the most part, there is just a, a sort of mindset that sees this great palette of possibilities that you can explore in the format. Yeah, it is a totally a sweet format. The first time I played EDH, I just was like, oh my gosh, this is so much fun. It's varied. It's diverse. It's for sure casual. There's a lot of goofy things that happen. There's a lot of uh, goofy board states that you have to focus on. And Absolutely. And even in that sense, it seems like the combination of interactions is just so much more flavorful that I feel like I learn more about the game when playing EDH than I do sometimes playing Constructed. In a lot of constructed formats, there's a narrow set of possibilities that happen in game states. You're dealing with a, for one, with a much more limited card pool. And two, you're dealing with strictly competitive decks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, formats formats have tiers of decks. And, um, you know, there was a time when you wanted to do well, you played Psychotog. Or you played Baneslayer Angel, or you know, or whatever the um, you know Eldrazi Conscription uh, deck was. So there, I think, I think there's a narrow set in standard, and to some extent limited. There's sort of a narrow, narrower set of board states and possibilities that might or are likely to happen in any given match. In Commander, all bets are off. You never know what's going to happen. You know, when Mirror Weave is a card that people play, you can never actually predict what sort of mania is going to ensue. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so Sheldon, you were talking about you never know what kind of mania can ensue. Now, Commander has a rules committee. First of all, who's on that rules committee? The rules committee is, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Scott Larrabee, who uh, is the um, works at Wizards of the Coast. Uh, Toby Elliott, who was a fellow level level five judge, also a fellow Magic Judge Hall of Famer, and uh, Gavin Duggan, who was a former Net Rep level four judge, regional coordinator for Canada. 
the four of us have a pretty good grasp on big picture magic. Uh huh. You know, sometimes sometimes people say, well, like, you know, well, you know, a commander is full of casuals. I would counter that the commander rules committee knows more about competitive magic than any four people involved in the game. That is fascinating. At least from an administrative standpoint, you know, I'm not going to say I'm not going to say that me and Toby know more than Finkel and Kai about winning pro tours. Right. But from an administrative standpoint, from a, an authoritative standpoint, I would be happy to match uh, our four resumes against um, anybody else who's managed the format. And when did you decide that a rules committee was necessary for Commander? That was around, that was Gavin's idea, quite honestly, Gavin Duggan. Um, 2006 ish, uh, he pinged me. It's like, and and again, he was one of the early judge program evangelists of the format. And he pinged me. He's like, you know, we should formalize this thing, right? <laughs> Seems like a good idea since it was going viral. Yeah, yeah, I guess. <laughs> like, yeah, like, don't worry about it. I'll register the domain name, and uh, you know, I'll take some some actions, and we'll do a thing. Like. Okay, so at the time it was me, Gavin, and fellow level three Canadian judge uh, Duncan McGregor. Duncan dropped out to pursue other interests. By then, we had added Toby, who I think made level had made level four and was certainly close to making level five by the time we added him, and then. Scott a little bit later. Uh, there have been a couple other folks on, uh, again, former another former level five judge, Kevin Dupre, was, was a great competitive magic player. And we had added him probably in 2008 or so uh, to get a, a radically different perspective on the format. We had also added Alex Kenny, a f- Canadian friend of Gavin's who had played in his group uh, we added him relatively early on. Um, he just, in the last year, had decided he had other things to do. Um, so he was sort of the uh, – Alex was the non-high-profile magic person that was also on the committee. Sheldon, what are some of the biggest challenges that goes into deciding the rules of Commander and also what cards are in the format and also what cards are banned? Well, <sighs> We take a relatively conservative approach, I'll say, to banning. We'd rather wait a little longer than make a call that we didn't think was that, that we had to go back on. There have been a couple of sort of snap calls. We knew from the get-go Grizzlebrand wasn't going to make it. We knew from right away that Worldfire just interacted badly with the format. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have a, a philosophy, a set of guidelines by which we manage the format, and it's listed there on mtgcommander.net if you want to go take a look at it. So we try to do everything we do consistent with that philosophy. Sometimes, uh, as I said, banning a card is a little pretty much easy. Sometimes it's a little more difficult. Is it over-centralizing the format? Is it, uh, you know, is its uh, ubiquity dragging the format down? I mean, there, there are some cards that you see a lot of that don't hurt anything. Solemn Simulacrum is the best example of that, mm-hmm. right? Nobody's going to complain that Jens is breaking their games. Mm -hmm. Prophet of Crufix, on the other hand, uh, you know, just the scales tipped to the point where it's better to have it not in the format than to have it in the format. So a lot of I think a lot of folks use the word just too frequently. They go, well, just do this or just do that. There is no just it's it's like many things uh, in life. It's 
it's way more nuanced than that. You have to you have to think not only of the first level the first level implications, but the second and the third level implications as well. Uh, what is bringing this card in or taking this card out of the format going to do? I, I mean, there's a there's a simple big picture question: Is the format going to be better or worse without this? Are the games going to be more like our vision of the format with or without this card? And, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, that's that's the simpler answer. Uh, it goes through a lot more deliberation than that. You know, we want we want people to enjoy their games of the commander. Uh, so that's kind of how we decide if if a card if a card is going to make things miserable, like, again, Prophet of Crufix did, then it can go. Hmm, that's really interesting. I, I, you really you really got me kind of you really got me kind of thinking about it. I love that. We're targeting we're, we're, we're targeting a certain mindset of player mm-hmm. and commander exists as the anti-tournament format. Interesting. Yes, there is co- competitive commander. That's fine by us, but commander at its heart, the sort of target demographic of commander is sort of the, the not tournament. It's not, it doesn't hate tournaments. It just wants to exist in a space that doesn't have to be in tournaments. And, you know, we want the we want the that format where minotaur tribal can happen. Mm-hmm. We want that format where somebody can make a Ramirez de Petro pirate deck. We want the format that somebody can make a Dune, a, you know, a Frank Herbert's Dune themed deck. <laughs> Those are the kind of things we want to create or foster creating the games that you remember, not the ones that you'd love to forget. Yeah. You know, so when, oh my God, you won't believe what happened is the first words out of somebody's mouth. That's what we want. I comboed off turn two. Nobody cares. Yep. Quite, quite honestly. I mean, yes, that's, that's important in a competitive context, but it's not important to us. So it's a, a respite. We're a, we're a sort of a reprieve from tournament magic. Right. That the wacky stuff can happen. We try to make sure that it can. Now, we also understand that there's room for a different mindset. So we're all we're always balancing the line between the, the different kind of ways of, of looking at playing the game. Uh, and if we're going to err, it's going to be erring on the side of going with the casuals as opposed to the competitives. And Sheldon, right now, there is now 1v1 commander. Do you prefer mm-hmm. 1v1 commander or multiplayer commander? Um, multiplayer commander. Mm-hmm. 1v1 is fine. I think people have this misconception. The folks on the rules committee hate 1v1 magic or hate competitive magic. I made my bones on competitive magic. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm a, a, mag, a well-known magic name because of competitive magic. For commander itself, it's all about the multiplayer experience. It's all about being the beer and pretzels format. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah, Marshall Sutcliffe said that it was like the cell phone format. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> not other people's turns. He's just like on your cell phone, like checking Twitter or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that might that might be a little, going a little too far. But, I, you know, I'm always paying attention because I want to know what crazy stuff is going to happen on, the, on the, you know, the next person's turn. I love it. I love it. And, you know, I really wanted to ask you this as well, Sheldon. What was your feeling when Wizards announced that they were going to officially make Commander product? It's kind of like EDH had arrived. It was, it was a beautiful validation that what we had done actually mattered. Mm-hmm. Certainly, 
we're the most played casual format. I don't think there's any disagreement on that. It was the moment for the kitchen table magic player to stand up and say, I matter too. Mm -hmm. The pro players, the pro tour, uh, the pro judges, that all had a significant drive in the popularity of magic. But the community mattered too. The people who didn't have the time or capability or whatever to get involved in competitive magic, they had a place to go. When Scott came to me, you know, as before the public announcement, it was like, yeah, so guess what? Uh, R&D has started talking about making Commander product or wow. you know, making EDH product, but we're going to have to change the name. Ah. Like, absolutely. You have our full support. One of the best things could, could ever happen. You know, I know, I know that there are some, some folks that are a little critical of some of the Commander product, that it goes too far. And to those people, I might say, that's okay by me. You have wonderful things when designers push the envelope. And this is true for Magic in general, as well as Commander. The reason that Magic is as popular as it is today, way more popular than it was 20 years ago, is that it's not a static game. It's not the same game that it was. And one of the reasons that that is, is that designers continue to push the envelope. You could play, and I, I know you had Brian Weissman on that not that long ago. Yeah. If we were still playing Brian Weissman's deck as the best deck in Magic, nobody would be playing Magic anymore. <laughs> because the game, the game would have grown stale. Right. But what happened was the designers... Uh, you know, we we got professional designers and developers into Magic, and they started exploring things. When you push the envelope, sometimes the envelope breaks, mm-hmm. but that's okay. I would rather have cards like Leovold getting made and then banned than the designers feeling shackled when it comes to designing cards. Yeah, totally. Sheldon, being part of the rules committee, you know, you are very much one of the big ambassadors of the game to new Magic and also new Commander players. What are some of your bits of advice or what do you think really will help a player get into Commander? Well, my first advice, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal a quote from one of my favorite movies. Okay. This, is, this is Spinal Tap. <laughs> uh, I love that movie. <laughs> um, have a good time all the time. Yeah. Don't worry about what's the most broken thing or what's the tier one explore what playing magic and what playing commander means to you. The biggest piece of advice I think I would give to new players is find other players who are like-minded. The thing about the social contract in commander is not that there's this strict set of rules by sort of unwritten rules by which we play. The social contract is about communicating with your fellow players. The social contract is about finding what fits for you. And if that is the dirtliest of McDurdle Fest decks, (laughs) then that's what it is. If that's see who can combo out by turn three and or prevent the other player from coming, that's fine too. As long as everybody's on the same page, that's the kind of environment, local environment that we love to see. Uh, we want everybody, everybody's playing to have a communal good experience. We don't want to determine. Uh, I think one of the criticisms uh, I see levied against myself in particular is 
and the rest of the committee is, um, well, he's trying to tell us what fun is. No, I'm not trying to tell you what fun is. I'm trying to express to you what fun is for me, what fun is for us, and what fun is for the, the sort of target demographic for Commander. But the overriding message is find the folks who agree with you on what fun is. Then do that. Right. Yeah, yeah. I really like that. Okay. Sheldon, where do you think the future of Commander is headed? Well, I think at a certain point, it's okay for Commander to stay pretty much like it is. Standard Magic can't survive as is. Video games can't survive as is. Television shows can't survive as is. Uh, because they have this inherent need to attract newer and bigger audiences. The joy and the liberation of Commander is that we actually don't. Sure, uh, Wizards of the Coast has some interest in selling Commander product, but it's such a small percentage of their overall brand value that you know if they stop make, making product for it tomorrow, it would matter to us. I, I think it would matter a lot less to them, at mm -hmm. least you know from a corporate perspective, maybe not from an R&D perspective. Commander can continue to take advantage of the changeability of Magic itself while remaining sort of its own entity um, as a format. Again, and I'll, I'll use the term again, it, it can continue to be beer and pretzels magic. It can be the respite from tournament magic. It can be what we always want it to be. We want it to be the best format that it can possibly be on its own terms. Got it. I totally hear that. Okay, everyone, we're going to be taking a quick break. There's more from Sheldon coming up. But first, a word from our sponsors. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. The Kitchen Table Magic podcast has been all about the origins of the game and members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the kitchen table, the only other places in your local community to play Magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games is so important for our community. At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for Magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden boxes. You'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games that allow local communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, please be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They also have great online reviews and that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. Cardkingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre-constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of singles, from the latest sets to an ever-flowing supply of modern and legacy staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards. They'll offer you cash or in-store credit for your Magic singles. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of the 36 new pre-constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes and deck techs by Magic Pro Chris Van Meter. You'll get access to Card Kingdom's private reserve, which are special deals for chase rares at significantly discounted prices. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. Just go to cardkingdom.com/ktm. 
Sheldon, I was wondering if you possibly have an idea for a gift for our Patreon listeners. What do you think? You're looking for a, like a commander hidden gem here, right? Yes. Okay. I'm going to suggest a card from Torment called Equal Treatment. Equal Treatment is an instant. It's for white and one. If any source would deal one or more damage to a creature or player this turn, it deals two damage to that creature or player instead. And oh, by the way, draw a card. <laughs> I love it. It makes a lot of sense in Commander because sometimes you get hit with 25, five, six Avenger of Syndicar tokens, right? Uh-huh. Sometimes somebody either tooth and nails into or just naturally plays Crater Hoof Behemoth and you're facing 270 damage. Equal treatment will help you survive. <laughs> and it's a cantrip. It's, I mean, you know, you know for, for a white and one, I might just play it to draw the card. <laughs> and I'll let you know, I, I've been playing this card for a long time in the format. I actually killed somebody with it too. Really? Yeah, because it says if it would deal one or more to a creature or player, deals two instead. Oh. So I attack somebody with a swarm of with a swarm of one ones, and they were like, ah, so what? <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it deal two instead. But for the most part, for the most part, it's it's a huge damage preventer. And I think in Commander, you need to play damage prevention cards. You need to play your fuck kids, stay in school, eat your vegetables, and play your fogs because combat damage is going to happen and you need to sometimes prevent it. And then I just the, just the name of the card is meaningful in our 21st century environment. I like to believe that I've always been both in, in my regular life and as a leader in the judge program, uh, a staunch ally of people who don't necessarily look like me and people who have uh, who, who have other lives than than I do. You know, I, I want to be an ally for the LGBTQ plus community. I want to be an ally to marginalized minorities. And I think that equal treatment, like I said, especially in the 21st century, it's just it's a meaningful card. And uh, I, I hope that it's a good message that we can uh, that we can send to your listeners. I love it. Thank you so much, Sheldon. So I'm going to have a whole bunch of copies of equal treatment signed by Sheldon Menery himself. So please, if you want to support Kitchen Table Magic, go to patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Supporters at the $6 level and higher get this very special gift from Sheldon. Okay, and we're back. Sheldon, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Sheldon, rapid fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, what's your favorite color and why? Uh, white because it does the right thing, even though that thing is sometimes very difficult. All right. And then also, if you would um, pair white with another color combination for a guild or two more colors for either a shard or a clan. Black because there is only one true guild, Orzhov. The others are... <laughs> The others are just pretenders. <laughs> I love that. Okay. Orzov it is. You're, you're going to be extorting people, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. It's just, a, it's just a reasonable tax to pay for the other things, the other good that we're bringing to people. Of course. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Sheldon, rapid fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? I would make Sorrow's Path be a playable card. Hmm. Okay. Would you like to elaborate on that? <laughs> well, I, I mean, Sorrow's, Sorrow's Path is 
is commonly recognized as like worst magic card ever. <laughs> and what does it do? It's a land from the dark that says tap it, choose two target blocking creatures and opponent controls. If each of those creatures could block all creatures the, that the other is blocking, remove both of them from combat. Each one then blocks all creatures the other was blocking. And whenever Sorrow's Path becomes tapped, deals two damage to you and each creature you control. That's strange. It's 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 awful. <laughs> it's just awful. It's like a, it's a land. And you know, it's it's a land from back when there were lands that didn't produce mana, and it it murders it murders your team. And uh, I don't know. I love that whenever it becomes tapped. So if your opponent just taps it for no reason, it'll still do damage. Right back in the day, back in the day when um, City of Brass was a playable card, and Icy Manipulator was a thing. People would tap other people's icy manipulators just to deal damage. I mean, uh, other people's cities of brass just to do to do damage. Though. Yep. Oh my gosh, that's too funny. Okay, okay. Rapid fire question number three, Sheldon. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? It would be the ability to have fun in every Magic of Magic they play, no matter what format. I like that a lot. Okay. Question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic: The Gathering? I actually see the idea that the paper game, the tabletop magic game, gains strength instead of loses strength. You know, we, we live in an, an increasingly digital world, and online games, digital games are pretty huge right now. But I think magic taps into something. The paper game connects us in a way that we're not connected when we play Magic Online or when we play other digital games online. And, and I, see the, I see the future of Magic as being a continuation of the legacy of more personally and socially interactive games. And I, I think we're actually not going to lose that in any time in the near future. Okay, very cool. And last, Sheldon, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience? Uh, my only request is, once again, if you just enjoy yourself when you're playing Magic, think about each other. One of the messages of Commander is, I'd like to see everybody making sure that the other people that they're sitting down with are also having a good time. We want you to um, create the games that you'll always remember, not the ones that you'd love to forget. Mm -hmm. And I, th I think that takes a little bit of uh, that takes a little bit of a, a, a forethought that there are a number of ways to play Magic that are really good at winning games, and those things are not necessarily good at creating enjoyable circumstances. Locking people out of games is really is a really good way to win. Mm -hmm. It's not a really good way to make friends. Mm -hmm. Nobody down the road is going to remember the game where Grand Arbiter and Hikori and some stacks thing happened. I, I, nope, everybody's going to go blah. I hated that. <laughs> They're going to remember the time when everybody at the table threw up their arms in delight because something they've never seen before has happened. Right. They're going to remember the time that there were 15 blood tyrants on the table, not comboed ad nauseumed out on turn two. <laughs> so I, especially our commander, our, our commander friends, I really want to say think proactively about, about finding the balance between being impactful in a game. I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily want to go into a game and not do anything. I want to have a reasonably good chance of winning games that I play, but I also want everybody else that I'm playing with to have a good time while they're playing the game. I would much rather something epic happen and I lose than something boring happen and I win. 
Okay, okay. Wise words. And Sheldon, where can the audience connect with you on social? Well, you can find me at Sheldon Mennery on Twitter, and you can find me by my name on Facebook. Uh, I write a weekly column on Star City Games, uh, generally published on Thursday. Uh, I also write a food and wine blog. Ooh, I love that. Uh, there's, it's a, um, it's just, a, I mean, it's just a simple WordPress blog. It's called food and wine discoveries at dot uh, wordpress.com, but also sheldonmentary.com currently redirects to the, to the blog. So you can read it there. I love it. Well, if I'm ever in Florida or if you're ever in Seattle, we definitely have to get together and drink some wine and eat some food together. It will be my distinct pleasure, uh, especially if you're in Florida, you can, you can explore our wine cellar. We will be happy to cook for you. And we are versed in many, in many ways of cooking from full meats to no meats at all. That is so <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much, Sheldon. I really wanted to acknowledge you for myself personally on the journey of playing Magic and being in the Magic community. I had stopped playing Magic for a long time, you know, Ever since I was a kid, I played Magic, but I stopped kind of like maybe around like after Nemesis and after Apocalypse or something like that. And I didn't play throughout high school. I didn't really play throughout college. But when I got back into it, it was like Rise of the Eldrazi or something like that. But getting back into Standard and figuring out kind of what was the current format at the time, the vast majority of players in the community said, hey you should play EDH. And I go, what's EDH? And ever since then, I just fell down the rabbit hole. One day I asked myself, who comes up with the bannings and the rules and whoever came up with this thing? And then they said in hushed tones, there's a rules committee. And I was like, rules committee? Who are these people? And I think at the time they were like, they're in Canada. So I was like, oh, wow, even more mysterious, right? But uh, eventually I've heard of a person name and 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 it was your name Sheldon Mennery and it was just like wow so Sheldon Mennery is part of the rules committee and you know I fast forward to today in this present moment and I am incredibly humbled and honored and privileged to be talking to you about it so I just wanted to thank you and I want to thank everyone else in the rules committee as well Scott and Toby and Gavin and all the other past people on the rules committee what you've done for Elder Dragon Highlander EDH Commander what whatever we want to call it, the party format, the beer and pretzels format, as Marshall said, the cell phone format, whatever it is, you've made a significant contribution to the community. So, thank you so much for everything that you do. We've had such an explosion of love for this game and this format. Thanks for saying so, Sam. I really appreciate it. I mean, it's it, it has gone beyond what we had ever hoped that it would. You know, I would be lying to say that we had a plan from the get-go. It was an idea, and we hung on to an idea, and to some extent, we never let go of the idea. And when folks like you turn around and say things like you just said, I'm like, well, it tells me that we've been successful in in doing what we had set out to do in the first place. Uh, so I am equally honored and humbled to, to hear you say that. Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sheldon Mennery. He's on Twitter at Sheldon Mennery. For more information on the EDH Rules Committee, the EDH ban list, and how to play, visit mtgcommander.net. 
I'll have all of the links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this week's show. I want to thank all of my Patreon supporters from Seasons 1 and 2. Brian, James L., Marcus, Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Mark, Aaron M., Neil, James G., Aaron C., Jonathan, Corey, Chad, James E., Joe, Logan, Scott, The Magic Man Sam, Jesse, and Ben. You're all getting a signed copy of Equal Treatment from Sheldon Mennery. After sending those out, I've only got a few left. So if you'd like to get this special gift from Sheldon Mennery, become a supporter at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Supporters at the $6 Gilder Baron level or higher get these sweet gifts. If you're a new listener to the show, welcome. And I hope you've had the chance to listen to past interviews from seasons one and two. Season three is going to be amazing with all of the new guests I have lined up. Over the past year, I am grateful that so many listeners have found the show, and I will continue to make content that is high quality and meaningful for the community. Your financial contribution goes to making the show better and keeping it running by helping to pay for audio equipment, software, and server costs. Now that I've partnered with Card Kingdom, there's a new way to support the show. When you shop at Card Kingdom, just use my affiliate link, cardkingdom.com KTM. A big thank you again to all of my Patreon supporters. Your support of Kitchen Table Magic allows me to share stories about the amazing people in the Magic the Gathering community with the world. Thank you. Be sure to follow Kitchen Table Magic on Twitter at KTM Podcast. Like the show on Facebook, Kitchen Table Magic Podcast. All of the episodes and show notes are at kitchentablemagic.org. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and mtgcast.com. Remember, if you're enjoying the show, please be sure to share KTM with a friend. Coming up in the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic... Actually, before I even really cared about magic at all, uh, I had a channel called The Guitar Man Sam, which is where I would put a bunch of my uh, my guitar videos that I was playing, um, you know, just starting in 2007, The Guitar Man Sam was a channel. So again, I was just playing a bunch of guitar and I wanted to put my videos on the internet. So uh, The Guitar Man Sam became the moniker. And uh, when I started the magic channel, I thought that was the only way I could do it. Like, I have to be the magic man, Sam. That, I mean, that just, it just has to be, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I, it, I actually think about this a lot. Like filmmaking and video making sort of came because of magic. Like I wasn't making videos before I started playing magic. So I accidentally became a video editor because of magic, you know, and because of that, now that I actually have to like rely on good editing skills, I pay way more attention to the craft itself and, and look up tutorials all the time and, uh, you know, draw from a bunch of different influences and people that I that I admire that who are making videos as well. But at the beginning, like I was learning magic at the same time I was learning how to make videos. I'm talking to the Magic Man Sam. Sam is the premier visual storyteller of the Magic community. His stunning videos highlight the art of prominent artists such as John Avon, Nils Ham, Therese Nielsen, and many more. Sam's videos also give perspective on Magic history's most influential cards, such as Lightning Bolt, Rancor, One with Nothing, Thoughtseize, Thrag Tusk, and Snapcaster Mage. Join me and fellow storyteller, the Magic Man Sam, all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. <laughs>